0: Sort of been working our way through messages on prayer over these last four Sundays, and uh, again, when we started our prayer season, I didn't intend for that to happen, but uh, it just one one Sunday led to another, and then led to another, and here we are on our fourth Sunday on the topic of prayer. Today I've entitled it "The Lessons from Hannah's Prayer," and uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, what we're going to do during this time, we're going to turn, as I said in a moment, to 1 Samuel, if you haven't already. We're going to take a look at the example of Hannah petitioning the Lord uh, in, her, in her distress uh, and see how and why and everything. And then we're going to take a look and observe some lessons, just some lessons we can learn and that we can gain from her prayer, from what she did, what she said, how she approached God how she responded to God, we can learn some things from Hannah. And uh, and then obviously to let that example affect our engaging with God. When we watch other people pray, when we watch other people engage with God and we see examples and lessons, then I hope that it motivates us to not only want to engage with God, but to see that it's a good thing and it's productive when we do so. Um, if you haven't already turn to first Samuel chapter one, um, it was one of those cases where I tried to look at a place to uh, try to find a place to stop reading. And so I couldn't, so we're going to read all 20 verses. And if you can't stand that long, that's okay. I'm fine with that. But if you would stand while we read the, the Holy sacred scriptures of God, um, And uh, I'm reading again from the English Standard Version. There was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim, it's easy for you to say, of the hill country of Ephraim or Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. I'm kind of like the total Calvinist that fell down a set of stairs, and when he got up, he dusted himself off, and he said, I'm sure glad that's over with. I'm glad that's over with. Okay, we'll get on. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. And that was a hyper Calvinist, by the way, not a total Calvinist. <laughs> I want Kevin Matt getting mad at me. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hopney, and Phineas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Penina used to provoke Hannah. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you you weep and why do you not eat? And why, why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, signifying a place of authority, by the way. Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Eli was Mr. Sensitivity, by the way. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Never assume, people. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord And Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now, over to chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. And there is no rock like our God. You can be seated. I used to sing verse 2 a lot back in the days of the King James Hymnal. Some of you don't know what that means, and that's all right. This is a somewhat of a famous story where uh, Elkanah is uh, a guy. He's a godly Levite uh, who worshiped God regularly in, in their custom. And he, he, took, he took care of his two wives. Why he'd want two wives, I don't know. But anyway, uh, we talked about that at our home group Wednesday night. Somebody said, what's got Solomon in trouble? I said, can you say 700 wives? And in, in when he would sacrifice, he would give Penina a portion because of all of her sons and daughters, but then he'd give a double portion to Hannah. Or in some Bibles, it actually indicates a special portion. Uh, Because the Lord had closed her womb. He was also a guy who misunderstood the need for motherhood. I mean, (laughs) he says to her, why are you crying? I mean, why are you not eating? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? You know, sometimes, guys, we can be knuckleheads. We can be real dense. He didn't get it. He thought, hey, I'm, "I'm right here. Why do you need a son?" He under, He didn't. He didn't understand the need for motherhood, especially in her case. And uh, I don't think he ever got it. He, he's he was a knucklehead. So she does. She prays, and we're going to cover that prayer in a moment. God answers ultimately, and she says to him, "I'm going to give him to you." And ultimately, he's born. And once she weans Samuel, she literally and physically takes him down to the temple and leaves him with Eli and goes back home. That's a hard thing to do. But looking at her prayer, looking at her petition that she engaged with God, we see, first of all, that it was out of her distress and out of her affliction that she engaged with God it was in the time of her distress it was in the time that she was challenged it was during the time that she was provoked remember we read where penina would provoke her all the time because she had no children and penina said it has says she had sons and daughters remember that we'll come back to that and she was provoked all of the time. And in, in the, it's interesting that the Bible refers to Panina as her rival. I think that was, that was uh, started, or be, I think that began with Panina. The question we have to ask when we observe her prayers what do you do when life and people and The devil prods you. What do you do when you're provoked? What do you do when you're challenged? What do you do when you're distressed? Now, sometimes it's too easy for distress and difficulties to drive us deeper into distress and hopelessness. But Hannah, at some point, chose to go to God and to to issue her distress to him it was a while if you'll notice it said this went on year by year now i mentioned panina it said that she had sons and daughters now i may have mayberry math but i think that's at least four children sons and daughters so the period of time that it took panina to have four children unless some of them were twins That's the very least amount of time that Hannah has had to endure this year by year. And every year she's provoked. Every year she's irritated. Every year she's in distress. I don't know what made this year different. I don't know what. Well, I I got an idea and we'll get to it. But at some point she said, okay, I'm not going to allow this distress to govern me to identify me I'm going to I'm going to step up and get on my knees and go before God Desperation will drive us to to be serious and determined It can drive us the other way but we need to let our desperation drive us to be determined not defeated To be serious about what we're doing. And to get hold of God through prayer. Abraham Lincoln said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. How many times have we felt like that? How many times have we felt? How many times have you felt like that, that you had no other place to go, that all the wisdom and all the the knowledge you could conjure up just didn't seem like it was going to cut it? And so it drives you to the throne of God. I hope we realize that God uses circumstances to drive us to himself, to drive us to where he is. And so she she says, I'm going to do something about this. And so she, she goes into the temple. Eli's sitting over to the side, and he's watching her, and she's praying. And you saw in the text where Eli thought she was drunk. I mean, you know, that's what I would, first thing I'd assume, if I saw somebody praying without making noise, well, they must be drunk. I don't get it. You know, maybe that's why his two sons turned out the way they did. I, I don't know. There's a whole different issue there. But he's watching, and she's praying. She's distressed, and she's moving her mouth. She's, she, you know, it. He <laughs> reminds me of the story: of this this father and son that went to town, and and uh, they decided to go to lunch. And so they went to lunch, and the father said, "Let's just, since you know, restaurants crowded, let's just bow our head in silent prayer." And so they bowed their head, and the father raised his head up in a minute, and then the the youngster just kept. His head bowed and for what seemed like forever. And finally he raised his head and he said, son, you were praying for a long time. What were you praying for? He said, how would I know? It was a silent prayer. (laughs) (laughs) So Hannah is praying a silent prayer even though she's moving her lips. By the way, some of you think God doesn't hear you when you pray a silent prayer. But God does. He does hear you. Um, and so the second lesson we learn here is that she approached the Lord with humility. She approached him with humility. She, she comes before his throne. Um, it said, it referred, she referred to herself three times in this passage as God's servant. And some of your Bibles will say maid servant. She refers to herself as his servant. But, you know, remember your servant. And she, there's three times. And so she's coming understanding who he is and who she is. And she's assuming a posture of humility based on who she is and who he is. And this causes her to recognize God as her source. This causes her to be reminded that if she's going to gain anything, she's going to get it from God. And sometimes we forget who our source is. We think our source is our place of employment. We think our source is that deposit that's going to be made into our bank account. We we think and the list goes on, but we're reminded that our source for everything comes from the throne of God. And she was she remembered that, and so she, in a humble state with a humble mind, she comes before God, because we see twice in this, in this passage we saw twice where the Scripture said to us, it was the Lord who closed her womb. Saints, sometimes, sometimes uh, we want to have prepackaged ideas of what God does and doesn't do. And you know, I know there are some in the Christian community that would have a problem with the fact that the Lord was the one who closed her womb, but we see it twice. And I'll leave that alone. And then it, it she's she's in her state of humility and understanding. That it was God who closed her womb, she says, Lord, remember me. Remember me. Now, how many of you do how many of you know God hadn't forgot about her? He, he hadn't forgot her. He knew her name. He knew every hair on her head. He had heard her prayer. Or he was hearing her prayer. But she said, Remember me. And what she's saying there is, I will call on your covenantal nature. Okay? I'm in this position, I'm barren. My rival is taunting me. I've had enough. I'm praying, Lord, help me. You closed my womb. I'm praying, Lord, remember. Lord, remember your covenant with me. How many of you realize God's a covenant God? Covenant God. If he's nothing else, he's a God of covenant. And we can't take a lot of time. But what she was doing, she was asking God to extend himself to her as a result of who he was rather than what she wanted. I'll say that again. He was extending him, she was asking him to extend himself to her based on who he was rather than what she wanted. She was saying to God, I know who you are. You are God of covenant. You are a God who never breaks his covenant. So I'm asking you to remember your covenant with me. And allow me the honor of holding your son in my arms. Then i got to ask a question. How do you approach God's throne? How do you approach God's throne in your time of need? Well, humility is the right approach. And humility is the placing of ourselves under him. Placing ourselves before His throne as His servants. It's also showing deferential or submissive respect. It's all about posture. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6. Walk humbly with your, walk in a posture of laying down your life before His throne because He is God. And you are not. So she prays this prayer. Lord, give me a son. And you may think she's negotiating with God when she says, if you'll give me a son, I'll, I'll give him to you. Well, that, she had no bargaining chips. Cause what was she going to do if he didn't? Stomp her feet. She was basically saying, God, I will honor you and I will bless you. If you just give me the honor of, of birthing A child and a son. I will make sure he serves you. I pray that every mother in this room. Both present and future. Would say to God. I'll take this child. That you have allowed me to birth. And I'll make sure that I give him back to you. Him or her. And that they serve you. All the days of their lives. She prayed the prayer talked to Eli, said, God, this is what I'm asking you. And then, then the next thing is really cool. It says that she was no longer sad. She got up from her prayer, and she was no longer sad. Which means she was, but now she's not. Now, understand, she's not holding a baby. She's not even pregnant yet. But she was no longer sad, and the reason was she understood it was now out of her hands. It was now out of her hands, and it was resting in the hands of God. Saints, if we don't learn anything else from Hannah, we need to learn this one. That when we pray to God, we don't need to continue wringing our hands and stressing And worrying, because it's now out of our hands. What are you going to do about it? It's like when you go out and plant a a, a row of of, uh, green beans in your garden, and you go out the next day and you dig them up, see if there's anything happening. It's out of your hands. You leave it alone. When you give it to God, it's out of your hands. Leave it alone. And you you keep trying to help God. Let's alter the circumstances. Let's just help God here. Like God needs our help, it's in his hands. And when it's in his hands, we leave it alone. I don't know about you, but I don't like people taking things out of my hands. God doesn't either. Not only does God not like it, it's not good for us if we go taking things back. It would rest it in her hands. And she understood that he was the one who closed her womb, so he was the only one who could open it. Let's go to the one who can do it. And she asked him in so many words if he would open back her womb. She was praying to a covenantal God that she trusted. William Barclay wrote that when we pray, we should remember three things. First of all is the love of God that wants the best for us. Inherent in that is that we understand that we trust God. Inherent in that is that when we pray, we trust God because of his character. We trust God because of who he is. And he loves us enough that what he does for us or doesn't do for us, he wants the best for us. Sometimes we just have to put ourselves in the hands of a loving and faithful God and trust him based on his character. Not based on what we see or don't see. And she did this. She trusted him. Barclay also says we need to remember the wisdom of God that knows what is best for us. I've referenced recently the old TV show that three or four of you saw called Father Knows Best. And that's that's God. God's our Father and he knows best. And he has the wisdom to know what is best for us. Even better, we need to remember the power of God that can accomplish whatever we are asking. If he had love and wisdom and no power, it wouldn't matter, would it? But God has the power to move in your circumstances, to change your heart, to change other people's hearts. We're talking this morning about breaking generational curses. God has the power to do that. God has the desire to do that. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to continue on. I've spoken to my father-in-law who grew up in a family of eight or nine kids, the only one that never went to prison, the only one who was not an alcoholic. And he said that when he was saved at the age of 31 years old, that stops with me. That's not continuing from this point forward. That's breaking a generational curse. You can rest in God. God. Let me ask you a question. I asked a lot of questions today. And you obviously know I don't want you to answer them. Can your countenance change even before you realize your answer? Or even if your petition is not granted? you know, You know, I've said this recently too. Sometimes the answer to your prayer, sometimes it's no. You know why it's no? Because Father knows best. We don't like it. Well, you know, I remember uh, we were teenagers and there was a young girl in our church and, and my bride, my beautiful bride who's sitting right there, first lady, was working with some folks in South Louisiana in a Christian coffee house. And uh, we obviously weren't married. We've, we've known each other over 20 years too, Leah. Um Actually, we've known each other. <laughs> I've lost track. <laughs> we've been married forty-five years, so let's see—that'd be so—that'd be fifty-one years. But anyway, she was in South Louisiana, and this young girl—she was fourteen years old. Um, I might have even been dating her at the time. I don't remember, but that's another story. And. Uh, She decided that the Lord wanted her to go to Louisiana and work in this Christian coffee house. She's 14. And so she began to go all kind of pray. And every time they give an altar call, she'd run at the altar and stick that arm up and just pray and wail, thinking that her parents were going to let her leave at 14 and go two states away, three states away, and live with these folks. And, of course, once it became evident that that wasn't going to happen, the prayers went away because no was not the answer she was looking for. Another part of this, the lesson that we learned is when she prayed, God, the father remembered her. I want to tell you whether you see it or not, and whether you think it or not, or whether you realize it or not. When you when you pray to a covenantal God to remember you and remember the covenant that He has with you, He does. Everybody say He does. He does. He does. He does. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that was uh, Austin has said that. He does remember. And when he says God remembered her, he's saying, I remember my covenant. It's a declaration of him being who he is and not what he does. God remembers you. Scripture says, and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. Everybody say, remembered Abraham. Abraham. And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Do we realize that Lot wasn't necessarily included in Abraham's, Abraham's covenant, except that he Abraham called on God? And God remembered Abraham. It didn't say remembered Lot. But he remembered Abraham, which meant the covenant was in place, and he saved him. Another thing is that she named her answer, Heard by God. She named her answer, Heard by God. She said, I'm going to name him Samuel, which in the Hebrew sounds like heard by God. And it says in the scripture here, somewhere I just read it, that it says, I have asked for him from the Lord. Heard by God. Everywhere he went. Everywhere they went. They said, what's your son's name? Heard by God. Heard by God? What is that? Well, let me tell you. Now, when God answers your prayer... Name it, heard by God, whatever it is. because Psalm tells, tells us to bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all His benefits or His treatments. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and do not forget do, do not forget any of His benefits to us. Bless the Lord, oh, heard by God. That's what that is. And she also understood that the answer to her her, her prayer belonged to God. Her, she, the answer belonged to God. The verse 28 is a kind of a complicated verse in the Hebrew, but I'm going to give you the Granger translation that I think is accurate. It says, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my asking, which I asked of him. It seems complicated in English, isn't it? And I also have given back. What was asked to the Lord? Given back. Now, a lot of times we have baby dedications here and s- ceremonies where, with parents, will say to God, "I'm giving this child back to you. I'm dedicating this child's life to you," and then we take the child and we go home. But she took him to the and left him, as if, as if and please don't do this. That she brought her <laughs> <laughs> here. <laughs> We have sixteen grandchildren and one great-grandchild. That's enough. So, hey, but it's as if she brought you would bring your your child here and go home, and that's what she did. After she weaned him and took care of, him, she took coats back up there and other things. There's other parts of the story, but basically, she took him to the tent, to, to Eli, and Eli. You, I would say Eli was responsible for raising Samuel, but in some ways, Samuel raised Eli if you'll read the rest of the story. I'm not going to take time to get into it. But she understood that the answer to her prayer belonged to God, and she stewarded her prayer. Now, in her case, stewarding her prayer meant honoring her commitment to to take him back to the temple and leave him there. There's another matter, and that's called the bigger picture. At the time that this was taking place, Israel, I mean, uh, well, yeah, Hannah was not the only one who was barren. Israel was barren. Chapter 3, verse 1 says The word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. They weren't hearing from God. Remember in Amos where it talked about there being a famine of the word of God. There was no word of God. There was no frequent vision. There was no hearing from God. They were barren. And so it's kind of interesting that when she begins to pray, she's praying with God. E. Stanley Jones said this, prayer is surrender. It's the surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Hannah didn't even realize what she was praying. She was praying God's will and she was pulling herself to God's will when she went into that temple and prayed for Samuel. Israel was in that barren state. Hannah was in a barren state. Not realizing it, her prayer was timely. Her prayer was coordinated with God's purpose with her prayer. God had a purpose. This was not... Just some arbitrary moment when Hannah decided to pray for Samuel. I mentioned earlier, I would get back to this. This was, in my opinion, God sovereignly after year after year after year of being provoked and distressed. God sovereignly in this moment said, okay, now's the time you need to pray for a child. It's God's will. And if we're sensitive to God, when we pray... Sometimes our prayers are a part of a larger concert with God being our conductor. Sometimes we're praying what God wants. And in this case, God's heart and desire became her heart and desire. She wasn't even totally aware of this, but looking back, we know this. The bigger picture of this, of her praying and seeing Samuel born, is that Samuel This allowed the birth of the prophet who would anoint David as the king and he would direct the affairs of Israel for many years. Again, my reference earlier to Norm Geisler, little did those folks know that today through the ministry of Norm Geisler and by proxy through the ministry of Ravi Zacharias, that the world would be blessed from that little effort. Little did she know that she's praying in concert with God That she's barren. Israel's barren. And he was going to take care of both. With one child. And that's because Samuel was God's answer. To Israel's barrenness. There was no frequent vision. There was no word. Samuel arises on the scene. And there he is. Often. If not always. When we. Pray, and God answers our prayers, there's a larger purpose and a larger application than we can even see with our little finite view. But we trust God. And God did away with her barrenness and did away with Israel's barrenness. And what was her response? She rejoiced. Hannah rejoiced in the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, My heart exalts, my horn is exalted, my mouth derides my enemies. Uh, if you have a New King James there, it says, I smile at my enemies. Uh, you can just take a good guess of who, what enemies she's talking about. In the, in the Hebrew there, it literally means her mouth was wide open. You, you might, If you're from the south, you might have heard the saying that grinning like a mule eating briars. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's just us rednecks in the panhandle of Florida. But uh she was smiling from ear to ear in her soul. It said her heart was rejoicing. The, the, the horn in your scripture there is her strength. In her strength, she was exalting God. And she couldn't help but smile from ear to ear. Don't remember, mothers. Don't forget, mothers, I'm sorry, that she was taking him down there and leaving him. And she knew she was going to leave him. And yet she was smiling from ear to ear because God had heard her prayer. By the way, in a side note, look at verse 10, chapter 2. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give his strength to his king. And exalt the horn of his anointed. Some messianic prophecy. Prophesizes Jesus as the king. So even at her great personal loss in that she was leaving him at the temple, she worshipped God. She praised God, her heavenly father. She worshipped God because he had answered her prayer and he was going to use her offspring that she didn't know. She knew he was going to use him and he was going to be a prophet, but he was going to use his offspring to... Eliminate the barrenness of Israel. Finally, the first ten verses of chapter 2 contain the expression of a full heart that had visited with God, that had been remembered by God, and had received the answer to her prayer. There's, a, there's an old song that doesn't even appear in hymnals anymore. Everybody knows who wrote Amazing Grace. So you can say it. Fig Newton. John Newton, excuse me. He wrote another one called, When Hannah Pressed With Grief. And I don't have all the verses here, I'm just giving you a few. When Hannah Pressed With Grief poured forth her soul in prayer, she quickly found relief and left her burden there. Like her in every trying case, let us approach the throne of grace. When she began to pray, her heart was pained and sad. But ere she went away, was comforted and glad. In trouble, what a resting place. Have they who know the throne of grace. Eli, her case mistook. How was her spirit moved by his unkind rebuke? But God, her cause approved, we need not fear a creature's face while welcome at the throne of grace. She was not filled with wine, as Eli rashly thought, but with a faith divine and found the help she sought. Though men despise and call us base, still let us ply the throne of grace." Let us today learn from Hannah. Go back and read this prayer again. Read the following chapters to see how it turned out for Samuel. But let us, let us gain these lessons and, and learn how to approach God the way she did and how to rest in God the way she did. It's a great example for us to pray. As we finish out our weeks of prayer and fasting uh, together, let that be for us. Let me let me just pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that your the, the reading of your word and the expounding upon your word would have landed where you wanted it to land. That you would find fertile soil in our hearts today for your word, and I pray in your name. Amen.